This is part two of my conversation with Hannah Noble. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vania Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I'm on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. What is your creative process when you when you're writing or when you are you know making up a new piece of work I always joke that my memoir will be written by two thumbs because I write so much in the notes section of my iPhone which is like <laughs> this little iPhone 5 that people make fun of me for because I don't need to upgrade uh, so it's like one of the you know the OG small screens yeah because I'll have ideas all over the place. I'm when I'm brainstorming something, I'll go out into the world because I can't just sit in front of a blank screen and type because it's intimidating, which I think a lot of people probably feel. And so I'll go somewhere like like Disneyland and I'll write things in line. That's true. Like I'll write things in line for rides or I'll go out and I'll pull over on the side of the road and write things or I use the voice recorder a lot if I have an idea and I'm in, in the car and so it doesn't always transcribe that it makes total sense, but I'll get the gist of what's going on. But I do a lot of out loud talking about what I think I'm going to write in the car. And living in Los Angeles now, I spend a lot more time in the car than I ever had. So I'll, like, I think a lot of things have been written on the 405 that I'm just speaking out loud. And lately, I've done a lot more storytelling, so a lot of those things are supposed to sound spoken anyway, so it's really helpful. It makes sense. Yeah. And then I'll come together and take all of those pieces, and I, I've, this is not the most efficient process, and I keep telling myself I need to find a better process, but this is what has worked, is that I'll dump all of those little clips and pieces into a Word doc, and then it starts as this giant mass that makes no sense, and I always start in the middle, and... The middle forms first, then the, comes the beginning, and then the ending forms last. That's always how it goes. One day, I would love to write something where it starts at the beginning, and I know how it's going to start, but I always get inspired of how something starts from the middle mess of it. And then it, it forms like, I think like, this is maybe helpful for you. It forms like what I think a pot is like, right? Like the, the middle gets molded, and then like, I kind of curve up into the yes. opening and the closing. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I thought, you know how sometimes we do things a certain way, like we prepare food a certain way, or we have like a way of doing things and we think we're the only ones in the world that yes. we do that. So that's what I do. I start, I put all of these little bits and pieces that I've written in my notes section or like voice memos into one document and then I start, I don't necessarily start from the middle, but I just start like moving things, you know, yes. paragraphs and writing more and expanding and taking in and out. And I thought that was that that had to be the most unpractical way to do it <laughs> because I thought people who like normal people who wrote stuff just sat down and starting, you know, like outlining the story or, or the statement and then just went at it from beginning to end writing. And for me, it's just a mismatch of things. And it, honestly, I think, it, I mean, I used to think that there should be a better way to do this, but now this 
successful, amazing storyteller writer do that, I feel that my experience is validated. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, good. There's more than one of us out there. Maybe everyone else is more organized, but we're figuring it out. We're figuring it out. And you know, that is a creative process. It just, it's dark and twisty and it doesn't make sense until it does. Yes. Yes. I know there's so many times that I'm like copying and cutting and pasting things in different order. And I just always know that at some point it's going to click and it will. And maybe it'll be an, a minute before the things do. But I know it will happen, but it's still, you got to move things around so many times in that giant word doc until you figure it out. Exactly. What has been in your career as a creative, a hurtful moment, a moment that just pierced right through you? Um, can I answer this two different times? The first is the first time I remember ever feeling hurt as a creative. And it, yes. was in, it was in third grade. And I know I should let this go. But in third grade was the first time I remember feeling creative. And the teacher had assigned us to create our own board game. And I created a, with a group, a group project, my nightmare, because I always did all the work. I created this vocabulary game called, and I called it the quest for vocabulot. And I thought it was so brilliant. And then this kid in my class, Devin, I won't say his last name, but I know who you are, <laughs> Devin. He told the class that he had thought of the name. And I was so hurt because I had thought of this thing and I was so proud of it. And then he got all this recognition for something that wasn't his. And it's so funny that that was, I was eight. That was like, 22 years ago or something and I have not let it go <laughs> did you did you speak up at that moment I told the teacher later because I didn't I just didn't cause a scene in front of the class and she was like it's a group project or something you don't really care Aww. and like what you know the stakes are low in third grade people no one remembers that moment except for me no, I feel I have lots of those moments when, you know, you're a tiny human in development. And it's this thing that if you think through an uh, adult lens, it's like, oh, it's it's fine. But it, they just, those things mark us. I don't know. Like, it's it's real. So I'm sorry, little Hannah, that that <laughs> happened. Thank you. We appreciate that. And then what is the second time you felt hurt in your career? A couple of years ago, I did a big project that, you know, it's one of those projects that they say it'll take a month and then it takes two. And it was a copywriting project. It was really hard uh, and it was fun, but there was a lot of back and forth. And I just felt like I just couldn't nail the tone the first couple of times. And I finally did it. And they thanked me and said it was great and said, if I need a recommendation, asked for one they're happy to give it and then the project was yearly so then it came around the next year and I thought that I would get the project again because I had done it and it turned out well and then they didn't offer me the project again and it, in the scheme of things it's not a big deal and it wasn't like a ton of money but and I didn't love doing it you know I wasn't really that passionate about it but it did hurt my ego a little bit you know I said to myself, they said they liked it. They were happy with it. And then they didn't ask me to do it the next year. So Aww. that was a bit of a bummer. And, you know, it's, and I thought about it and I thought about this like a year ago. And I don't think I did a great job, which is fine. 
You know, I did the thing and then probably there's someone out there who can do it better. And that's humbling and true that someone probably did it better and nailed the tone and they didn't, the fact they didn't want to work with me again is part on me for sure. Probably part on them and it's fine. And there'll always be new projects and new work. And I, but it did hurt. You know, I was like, Oh, bummer. <laughs> thank you for owning that. And thank you for saying that, that you've probably failed and someone did a better job. That takes a lot of courage to say out loud and it's, and it's okay. And it's true. I just love how, how you are open to being vulnerable and then renew yourself again and again. Thank you, Hannah. That is super empowering. Yeah. I'm like, there's nothing yet that I figured out that I'm the best at. So I'm not like stuck on that, that if I don't get an opportunity or something that I'm not stuck on the, the pedestal of, oh, I'm the best one at that. And once I figure that out, whatever that will be, then I think I'll have a little bit more disappointment around that. But there's so many things that I'm okay at. Like, I'm good at writing. I don't think I'm the best writer in the world. You know, like there's people who are better at different things than me. Like, I, that sounds maybe like I'm being hard on myself, but I'm just like good at a lot of things. I'm not the best at one thing yet. Which, so it's fine that I'm not the best at everything. I'm okay so with that. Let's see. This is a, a favorite subject of mine. Speaking about failure, what is something that you failed at? That that it was like a big failure. Oh. Or do you want to share what is something that you're really bad at? Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'll share something I'm bad at. I am really bad at sports, <laughs> like, like all physical activity. Um, oh, I'm also really, this is something that's hard as a freelancer too. I'm really bad at finance stuff. Mm. I am, don't, I feel like very financially illiterate in a lot of ways. Like when I have to do my taxes and do anything with invoicing, like I just don't, I don't want to deal with numbers and I have to all the time. And sometimes I'll wait so long to invoice people just because I don't feel like dealing with it. And it's so problematic as someone who is self-employed. What is your relationship with money? Frugal. I grew up with very, very frugal parents. My mom was a coupon cutter, not in the same way that the people who. In the TV, uh, like the TV shows, insane like that, coupon. Like yeah. That. But I thought we were poor growing up because she would cut coupons and we would buy things on sale and she would go to different grocery stores to get things on sale. And now in hindsight, we were not poor. We were fine, but it was just part of her personality. So now, but unfortunately, some of that has trickled into my life. Some fortunately, like when I look for airfare, I'll spend hours and hours. Like I have 10 tabs open looking at every single site, comparing it. And in the end, maybe I'll save like $20. And it made my last boyfriend crazy because when we would plan trips, I would take so long to book the thing. Like, it feels like I win a game if I save money. And like, <laughs> if I'm run. like, I pay, yeah, <laughs> if, I, if I am paying less for my airfare than anybody else in the, on the plane, I feel like I won something. I then I, it's funny because my parents were like that. And then my aunt, my aunt who I'm very close with lives in Manhattan and never had kids. So she spent money in a different way than my parents. 
uh, still frugal, but like she would go out for really nice dinners and buy an expensive bottle of wine. So she's influenced me to be able to, you know, go out for an amazing meal mm. and not have guilt about it. And she's the one who would buy me clothes from Limited Two. So I luckily have some of that influence and I do treat myself to like a great meal out and that's how I enjoy my time. Like I'll go for a tasting dinner by myself and not feel bad about it. But I do, I'm neurotic about if I can save money, how? <laughs> how can I? Okay, now I'm, I just picture you on a plane like wearing like a tiara and a band and the tro holding a trophy because you were the one that paid the least for a ticket. <laughs> That you're not far off. This morning, I was in I was in Dallas, and I was supposed to have a direct flight. And they came on this the radio and said, "If anybody, we're overbooked. If people will get bumped to the next flight that's not direct, we'll give you like six hundred dollars in travel vouchers." And, and you're I yes, ran. I ran up there like a maniac. <laughs> and he's like, "You're the first one." And I said, "I know, I know. I've been watching everyone else." <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> What has been your favorite piece that you have ever written? This, uh, this, I did this thing a couple of years ago where I thought it would be funny to go to the worst rated restaurants on Yelp in San Francisco. And my thinking was that when I was younger, I really wanted to be a food critic. But now everybody with a Yelp account and a food blog thinks they're a food critic. So it's really hard unless you work for one of the major papers. So I thought it would be funny And I could pitch a story if I went to the worst rated restaurants on Yelp. And my hypothesis was that they couldn't possibly be that bad. People are just complainers. And I pitched it and sold the story for $50. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. $50. And Not even, I bet that wasn't even what you spent on food. Well, they covered the food too. I oh, did okay. a little negotiation. Okay. And this was when I was living in San Francisco. And so I went to a restaurant in Chinatown, a... Japanese restaurant, an Indian restaurant, and a seafood restaurant. And that's all I could go to before I got too sick and got food poisoning for days and spent. And I literally wrote the story in between bathroom breaks because I was on deadline. I would like get sick in the bathroom and then I would come out and write part of the story and then I would go back to the bathroom. Oh and it, it was a crazy idea. And nobody would, I asked some friends to come out and eat with me and they were said, no way. But then the story went viral. What? I know. I, I wrote it. It got a lot of attention. The CEO of Yelp tweeted it out, sent it to all the employees. And I didn't really know how I had, you know, when something gets big, you have no idea. It got huge. And I was in North Carolina about to go run, help run an adult summer camp. And I got this call from these TV producers who had gotten their hands on it because some TV person posted it and sent it out. And they wanted me to be in a television show where I did this every week or whatever for weekly episodes. And so and? I, flew to, and I flew to LA and I met with them. And then I met with somebody else who took me out to eat at a restaurant. He wanted to see how I interacted with staff. It was a great place. It was a good falafel place. It wasn't bad. And I thought about it for a while and we like went back and forth about different ideas. And I joked that I would only do it if I got a good health insurance plan. And then I realized that I didn't want to be the girl who went to horrible restaurants. Yeah, I was always throwing up on TV <laughs> and also was like taking small businesses down. Like, that's not what I wanted to do. You know, I mm. love supporting small businesses and not, you know, people's dreams, even if it's not a great place. I'm not going to, my life goal isn't to tear these places down and 
be the vomit girl. And I thought if I ever, I don't really have a huge desire to be on television anyway. Anyway. <laughs> and, and if I did, this would not be how I'd want to go. I want something more like an Anthony Bourdain feeling, you know, so I said no. But the story still, like I get uh, notifications for its reads. It's all gets a hundred, couple hundred reads a week. And it's crazy that people are still reading it. And it was weird dating in San Francisco after that because people Googled me, that's what would come up. And so all these guys who I was going on dates with had read the story and like about, I talked about having diarrhea and it's like really unusual, but it was a, it's, it's a funny memory and I'm glad that I did it now that I've healed, but the aftermath was gnarly. I bet. that I, (laughs) Wow. Thank you for taking me through all of these experiences and adventures. I feel wow, like I've lived a whole week with you in this in this hour. Okay, so now we're gonna move to lightning round. Are you ready, Hannah? I I hope so. I feel like I'm on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. <laughs> okay, let's see. What was a toy you always wanted but never had? Uh, light bright. Remember those? It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. Board. I never had them, but my cousins had them. So I play with them at my grandma's house. Yeah, I, I would love a life-size one for my wall now. That would be the best. That would be so cool. Yeah. What was your first dollar ever earned? Uh, well, allowance for doing chores. But then I was a babysitter in middle school and high school. I babysat. And I thought I was making a million dollars. I think I was making like $8 an hour. But it felt oh, like man. a million bucks. With no health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Same as now. <laughs> yes. What is a moment when you feel magical? When I feel magical. Um, you know what? When I get to like dress up and go somewhere that feels fabulous, because I don't get to do that very often because I work in my pajamas all the time. So like when I am like stepping out and I'm wearing sequins, especially when I'm wearing sequins, I feel like a magical being. Well, speaking of magical things, can you tell... So I recently interviewed Rachel Burke from iMextagram. Oh, my God. And uh, we talk about Tinsel, and I told her your story about your breakup photo shoot and the (gasps) Tinsel jacket, and she thought it was marvelous. So can you share that with the audience, like what, what I'm talking about? Yes. I saw Rachel Burke's jackets that were rainbow and Tinsel online. I just couldn't, as I mentioned, I'm frugal. I just couldn't get myself to order one. And then I went through this surprise breakup and I ordered the jacket. And then I had a friend take photos of me. Like the jacket makes sounds when it moves and it's, it is the most magical piece of clothing I own. Truly it shines and it makes beautiful patterns on the ground, like a disco ball. And he took all these photos of me against this cool wall in Echo Park near where I live. And people, you know, people say like, this jacket is giving me life. Like they'll say like something like this thing is giving me life. At that time in my life, this jacket was keeping me alive and keeping me going. And it sounds kind of strange for an inanimate object to do that. But it brought me so much happiness, like a superhero cape when I put it on. And it, I was feeling so sad and vulnerable during that time that when I put this jacket on, it felt like the mask, like the mask from Jim Carrey, how he yeah. totally transforms. And I would put it on and feel light and powerful and amazing and beautiful. And I wanted to capture that in photos. So 
Uh, the photographer actually printed them out for my birthday in April and framed them and gave them to me, which was so oh. kind and beautiful. And you, I mean, you shared, I, f I feel like a couple when that photo shoot happened and you just look so happy. But, you know, I knew that you were going through, I mean, it had already happened, the breakup, but I just, again, I'm amazed by the power of your vulnerability it's heartbreakingly beautiful, you know, in a way that it's like oh, you're you're going through it, but at the same time you're so alive. And and I I bet it wasn't easy, but I'm I'm grateful that you that you did it because that is being human. Yeah, I always say like when I go through something horrible and sad, I need to see something or do something that is awe inspiring in a literal way, where I like am just amazed by something. I go on trips or like I'll fly somewhere and go like, or look at a mountain. And I just want to look at something that's bigger than me and inspires some feeling of magic. And the jacket also did this for me, even though it's not a mountain or a sculpture, but it's its own beautiful piece of art that I could wear. And that kind of was a security blanket for me during this time. I would just wear it in my house. I would wear it in front of the mirror and dance every morning in it oh for a week. Oh my God. <laughs> A wearable tinsel rainbow. Oh, that is so it's beautiful. Incredible. Yeah. I think the world is better because Rachel Burke exists and that's all of her magic. Truly. Are you familiar with grief? What is your relationship with grief? I had lost too many friends who were young. So my first and my grandparents didn't. I only have one grandparent in my life who I've lost, but I haven't lost a lot of family. So my grief that I've dealt with in my life who's been losing friends who are really young. Uh, my first friend I lost was in seventh grade and he was murdered and that was mind blowing to me. And it made me have very like early battles with higher power, you know, because I just couldn't believe that if I was 11, that and like somebody took my friend away that there was like a higher power so it made me struggle with that early on and I think every time that I have lost a friend who's really young I really struggle with that so my grief has been in trying to understand why young people who are so vibrant and full of life are like taken from my life mm -hmm. and why like people who are older like my grandparents who are like in their 90s are like allowed to have these long live life, even though they're old. As a kid, I didn't really understand that. And they still don't really get it as an adult too. So that's been a challenge that I've had to deal with. Thank you for sharing. My grief honors your grief. Thank you. Could you share an unpopular opinion? I guess I hate cilantro, but that's like a genetic, that's not me. That's a genetic problem. Oh my oh, God. <laughs> Rachel Burke said the same thing. <laughs> that she hated cilantro coriander like why no why it's the most tasty beautiful thing in the world I keep eating it I want to like it it's okay it's not for everyone it's okay <laughs> I also never liked cartoons as a kid too That's what like did you watch thing. I know probably shows that were inappropriate I used to like sneak downstairs and watch like this HBO late night that was like the bunny ranch and like taxi cab confessions and like really oh my god not age appropriate stuff but also my parents introduced me to the real world in third grade when it was real world honolulu and so i was watching and we used to in watch third that. grade you in were watching grade. 
the real world wow yeah. and the and jackass and the tom green show like my parents didn't never censored us from things and we would watch these shows as a family like, i remember tom green had testicular cancer and we watched his surgery as a family I'm like, that's kind of odd now in hindsight, thinking about that. <laughs> so I was watching totally age-inappropriate stuff, but also things like Saved by the Bell and, you know, that kind Mr. of stuff. Mr. Rogers and oh, yeah. Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> and, you know, your good old kid shows. <laughs> What was the last gift you gave someone? Oh, um, I took a friend to dinner to celebrate them getting a new job at a new home. I love to take people out for dinner. That's my favorite way to spend time with people. Beautiful. Great to know. Yeah, because next yeah. time I'm in LA, I'm going to let you take me out to dinner. <laughs> I would love that. I love it. And you know what? Also, I love to go out to eat so much that it alleviates guilt of me choosing a restaurant that's kind of expensive because I'm like, I want to treat you. Then you don't have to be stressed about this restaurant that I've chosen. <laughs> yeah, okay. I would love to take you to a magical dinner. Yes, let's do that. Speaking of dinner, what, what is a dish that changed your life? Oh, I, this is, I love this question. It's before chocolate lava cakes were on every menu. Before like it was, you know, you could get at Trader Joe's that were frozen. I had a chocolate lava cake at a restaurant called La Croix which is in Philadelphia in Rittenhouse Square. And it's very fancy in French. And my parents took us there. We had to dress up. I was probably like 12 or 13. And for the final course, we went into the, the chef's kitchen and the chef gave us this chocolate lava cake. And it blew my mind that you could have molten in the middle of this cake. And I like teared up. And I said oh. to the chef, I said, this is the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs> and it's, Baby I, Hannah. So funny. And I just recently, I officiated a friend's wedding and her little brother, I was asking what he's up to. And he told me, I work at this restaurant in Philadelphia, La Croix. And I said, I cannot tell you that restaurant rocked my world. Like, I, I'm a food enthusiast for sure. I write a lot about food. I read about food constantly. And I think that was one of the biggest turning points of food in my life when I realized like that this could be possible. What else is possible? And he told me he would tell the chef. I'm sure it's not the same chef that was there 15 years ago. I imagine you old, old, up, tiny Hannah saying, tearing up to the chef. This is the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and last but not least, this is one of my favorite questions. I mean, I feel like every question I've asked you, I just feel you don't understand. I just this is making my day, my week. I love you so much, Hannah I love Noble. You. Do you have any crazy travel stories to share? Oh, yeah. One time, well, this is like when I, everyone has a young, stupid travel story, you know? Like we all did dumb stuff. And when I was like 18, I spent five weeks in China with some friends. Well, no, it was first, I was studying abroad, quote unquote, on the studying. We didn't really do much <laughs> studying. We were like partying around China. Like the first night I was there in Beijing, I got drunk and bought 12 paintings. You know, What? I know. I don't know if you know this artist. He um, does these pictures of Chinese men with really big smiles. I don't know his name. No, it doesn't you ring would, a bell. You would love it. You should look him up. You would love it. I love this stuff so much about 12 paintings. And I had to carry 12 paintings around China for weeks. I still have them. They're all over. They're my parents' house. They're in my apartment. Anyway, that was a weird thing to do. It was bizarre. And then I had no money 
I don't know. At the end of this trip, after five weeks, we had, I had no money. But in the last night, I decided that I deserved to stay in the Intercontinental Hotel in Hong Kong because I don't know why I thought that after five weeks of partying, I should deserve to stay in the Intercontinental. So a friend and I split this room that was like $500. So we each paid $250. We were 18 for this room in Intercontinental. And we really did it up. Like I bought Hagen Daz and I ate it in the bubble bath. And I like watched oh my God. on TV. And the next morning I checked out of the hotel and they asked where I was going. I said the airport. And they said, Do you want to take the helicopter or the Rolls Royce? <gasps> and you'll be, you're disappointed. I took the train. I had no money left. <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I took the subway. <laughs> I was so broke. I don't even know if my parents know that I I don't know how I got $250, but I probably was like for school books, and I spend it on the night of the Intercontinental. I haven't treated myself that well in a long time. It's been like a, over a decade, but it Maybe was Maybe it's time. It's, <laughs> it's time, time, Hannah. It's coming. <laughs> Choose a new country and treat yourself. <laughs> it's true. And I'll buy 12 more paintings. Yes, I mean, you were just like spending like a millionaire. Okay, I'm just going to get drunk and bubbles. Okay. Give me 12 yeah. paintings. Spend the night at the Intercontinental. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know who. That's probably when I started, made the switch to really living well. <laughs> but now I have, now I realize that I have more of a budget than that night of my life. I should have taken the Rolls Royce, though. <laughs> Hannah, you are amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Every time I have an interaction with you, I love it. It's the best. Good. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to run into you in a public place again. Yes. Thank you for having me. Of course. Where can people find you? Where can people hire you? Like tell tell people. You can hire me through my always in process and not up to date website, hananobel.com. <laughs> if you're a web person, help. Um, <laughs> And you can follow me on, I guess Instagram is the most fun place, Hana.Nobel. I always apologize for not having as, you know, like glamorous and curated content as most people. But it's Hannah, really- you have the best content. <laughs> Don't listen to her. Just follow her. And by the way, Hannah is spelled H-A-N-A. Yeah, that's it. Or I guess they can also sign up for my postcard subscription, but that's oh, a little yeah. soon. <laughs> Hannah, thank you for being such a magical human. I love you. I see you. I can't wait to really see you in person. I know. Me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is what I am taking away from my conversation with writer Hannah Noble. Number one. Rest is okay. Naps are okay. Number two, the most important thing is having fun. No matter what you're doing, always try to have as much fun as possible. Number three, you can always choose the kind of person that you want to be. Number four, own your craft. And remember, everybody makes bad stuff for a while. Number five, Please share your struggles. They're part of the human experience and we are all figuring it out. Number six, the things you feel and the experiences you go through when you're a tiny human matter. Number seven, owning the things that you failed at is just as important as owning the things that you've succeeded at. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. 
If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby. 